Indy Left, what is happening here? To check out independentleft.news. The Indy News Network. Indy Left News. Oh, hey, Indy Left. Independentleft.news. Great work. Indy Left News. The Independent Left no, yeah. you know what we're doing? We're world building, Indy. Uh, Indy. Indy Left News. You were doing uh, the IN in recruiting. Indy News. Independent Left News. Shout out to Independent Left News. Check out Independent Left News. At Kennedy News. I see Indy's in the chat. Hi, Indy. Okay, great. Bye. Oh, hi. Yeah, no, we're here. Hi. Hi, everybody. What's up, everybody? What's up? It's Indy, it's Reef, it's Sunday, it's, ooh, it's up close, Indy and Reef and Sunday. So it's how do we miss that? Um, yeah, we got we got so much happening this week. Oh, my God. Did anything happen at INN this week? Um, no? Reef, Re, Reef was on Savvy Saps Friday night. How about that? Colin was on RBN. I was. Colin was on Hardlands Media. Yep. Holy moly, I and this was this was a really big for Indie News Network. By the way, we're members of Indie News Network. We're streaming live on Indie News Network. We're also streaming live on indieleft.media. Uh well, hmm. Indie Left Media's YouTube channel. We're working on getting a site back so that we can actually stream directly to our website again. Um but yeah, we had a lot happen this week. So, you know, Colin going on the squad thing and challenging Congress and and challenging the squad there at their little fundraiser and uh, having to pay 75 bucks. We're going to reimburse him for that for sure. INN will get him, get, get him back. But, yeah, Tara. That's, Tara's in Russia, everybody. Hey, did anybody, mm -hmm. does anybody not know that yet? Yes, everybody. Tara, Tara's in Russia. Um, and so there was an entire scramble to get all of the press conference stuff out and on different channels. So that was kind of tying up some of the week. We took a week off, which we haven't done in months. So that was nice to get a little bit of a break. I know we didn't really get much of a break. It was just, I was focused on doing a bunch of other stuff. I realized since I haven't been doing news updates, we haven't said anything to Patreon. Patreon.com slash news. We do actually have a Patreon. If you can support us, it would really help out right now. Um, and so I wrote a thing. I started writing a thing to Patreon. Say, hey, you know, sorry, we haven't abandoned you guys. And we haven't, like, fallen off the face of the earth. We just stopped putting out the daily updates. So I haven't been posting to Patreon. But we still are doing How Do We Miss That? And INN is still cranking. And... I just started putting together like a list. Hey, here's here's some of the stuff we've been up to. So that's over at our Substack at anymedia.today. And then um we've got the indie news network.substack.com. We put out a what's happening, what's going on over at INN because there's been a lot. What's happening? Saturday night, last night, we we launched Bitch with Comrade Misty. And most of you in the chat here were already there. But Bitch with Comrade Misty was a show that was on MCSC Network and on her channels for a while. Really excited to be able to, uh, an honor to bring that back with her, for her, producing it, co-streaming it to INN, 
and and you're doing it through our restream and inn personnel and people along with sleepy josh kind of collaborating to pitch in and get this going again because she needs an outlet to really bitch and interact with chat and share stuff on screen and talk about what's happening with Assange and share what's happening with rallies and organizing and her radio show and just vent and talk about Ohio and sports and kids and everything else. So uh, I need to go to, uh, I actually didn't bring up my little spiel that I usually say every week. So I do want to have that up. I'm just riffing right now. Uh, let's log in here. Ooh, oh, what else? What else you, did you do, Mister Mister Re Reese? Been adding to the soundboard quite a bit, so you'll hear some uh, new additions. Yeah. Who are these people? What? Um. What is, is that? Vin Diesel? Um. No, Ari Shafir. That's right. Uh, I, I think I asked you that and, last time too. Who are these people? Mark hmm. Norman. Um. Come on. You know. Come on, man. But anyway, yeah, no, we did. Mm -hmm. Savvy Savs, I got to do that. Got to represent Tara. That was nice. We did Bitch with Comrade Misty. That was great. Um, yes. Wednesday, we'll do an INN News, as always. Uh, and, and stay tuned for after How Do We Miss That for Boats. I know everyone sometimes forgets Boats, but, you know, we're going to be thing. launching. We're also going to launch another new show on Sunday. Um, I'm sorry, on Thursday. That's, a, that's a, another alternative angle with Chris. No crab, but just Chris. An alternative, um, alternative angle. It's an alternative, alternative angle. Yes, the the alternative, alternative angle. That's right. Maybe we should make call it the AAA, <laughs> right. the, AAA the AAA, the the AAA, the AAA and the AA, double A and the triple A. I don't know what's in that cup, but it's awfully dark. It looks like, um, um, yeah, uh, tea, chamomile. Okay. okay, you know, real so, manly drink. Beamer doesn't care for Ari. I'm not a big Ari fan, but he is he is kind of funny. He's just loud and all right. So let me get to it. How do we miss that? Yes. Welcome to how welcome everybody to how do we miss that? Okay, I hope I didn't peek out. Welcome everybody to how do we miss that? You did. How do we miss that is show is a show featuring articles written by independent journalists who expose corruption, cover workers organizing and environmental crises while challenging corporate establishment narratives and talking points. New episodes stream live Sunday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, Rockfin, Substack, Facebook, Telegram channels. We are live on Telegram. And the podcast is usually published within a couple of days on Amazon, Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. I noticed that the Apple was actually not connected. It now is. So you can now go to Apple Podcasts and look up How Do We Miss That, and you'll find the 82 episodes that are synced. Uh, Co-host me, I'm Indy. Mm -hmm. I'm the founder and editor of Indie Media Today on Substack and the Indie Media Awards. And then I got this guy sitting next to me. That's Reef Breland. He is, thank you, INN's technical director, co-host of INN News, and we are both hosts and co-founder. We are co-founders of INN Indie News Network, a collaborative family of independent content creators. And you can find all of our channels on IndieNews.network. Please make sure like this stream, share the link. Subscribe to our channel, all the platforms you watch and listen. Like I just said, I listed a whole bunch of them there. You can give us five-star rating, please, wherever you can on the podcast. Hook us up on the Patreon and on the Substack if you can. Um, I'm, I am I don't want to pay well anything. I really don't. And we've never we've never done that. I, I am considering creating some premium content. And either whether that's for INN, for Indie Left. Indie Left, I've always wanted to give everything away for free. It's getting to a point where I don't know if we can continue to do that unless I get some 
some signups and we haven't gotten any in a while. So thank you everybody. Look, just share, get, get, get the word out. I know everybody does. So thank you. Um, we do have a bunch of really good stories, including a couple that broke in the last, within the last day. And I had to yeah. update the slideshow. Uh, Assange news, huge, huge. So we'll see what happens there. But I say, let's get to it. Bam. There we go. Check out that badass thumbnail. That's actually a Canva template. Indy versus Reef. That's a, That's literally what my daughter said. When I showed her this, I'm like, hey, honey, check this out. Oh, it's Indy versus Reef. There's seven. Choose um, your fighter. No, I, well, no, it's Indy and Reef. And like, it's no thumbnail that we've ever done for the show has showcased that there's another guy on this show. So it's like, you know, uh, there's, a, there's actually two yeah. of us here. So uh, that's that's a thumbnail. Uh, that's our new generic thumbnail. We'll probably use this more often because it doesn't have an episode number or anything. It, I like it. It's badass. All right. Yep. First story. Money truck. <laughs> that's a thing his uncle. <laughs> that's an inside joke from Reese's uncle that whenever he gets something new and he can't stop talking about it, he wants to see my new truck. So our first story. Truck. Our first story is an interesting one that I have some feelings about. And I'm not just going to read this story. We got some things to say about this. Um, so we love Brett Wilkins and we love common dreams. Uh, let's start out by saying that that is between the two of them, they're double Indie Media Award honorees. But I will also preface this by saying that I'm not so... Thank you. I'm not so crazy about what happened here. So with an HQ walkout, Amazon workers say hell no to climate failures and a return to office mandate. Oh, okay. You've got me intrigued. Tell mandates. Me what, tell me what's everyone, going on. Everyone here, knows right? mandates. Right. So as we said, this is Brett Wilkins and Common Dreams. I'd like to showcase that. More than a thousand <laughs> corporate workers and allies <laughs> rallied outside the e-commerce giant's uh, Seattle headquarters on Wednesday to protest the company's return to work policy and what they called its failure to fulfill its climate pledge, which is awesome. Uh, I'm glad that they're protesting, but Stein and chant slogans during Seattle lunchtime, ra lunchtime rally, they walked out at lunchtime, which was organized by Amazon Employees for Climate Justice and Amazon's Remote Advocacy Group, included Amazon Strive Harder and Stop Greenwashing and Hell No RTO, which is a rebuke of a mandate from Amazon CEO Andy Jassy to a return to the office. Oh, yeah. well, screw you guys, I'm going home. See, that's one of those new great sound, sound bites. Uh, at least three days per week, you have, they have to be in the office. Amazon Employees. Quote, morale's the lowest wage that I've seen since I've been working here, said one anonymous Seattle-based employee who didn't want to be named because they've worked for the company since 2020. Now, this is Wired, and Wired has done some really questionable reporting. They did a tongue bathing of Mayo Pete yep. recently. But I just thought that this was kind of funny that he quoted Wired. But this year, Amazon did terminate 27,000 workers layoffs that have mirrored cost-cutting sackings at other tech companies that overhired during COVID. At least hundreds of other Amazon corporate employees and their supporters took place in similar demonstrations outside company offices around the nation on Wednesday, according to reports. Now, I did not see any of those reports on Twitter, but 
Okay, I, I'm glad again to hear that that's happening, but it's just kind of funny. <clears throat> Why? Today, it looks like it might be the start of a new chapter in Amazon's history when tech workers coming out of the pandemic stood up and said, we want to stay in this company and the direction of this company. And that's what a former corporate employee and co-founder of Amazon Employees for, for Climate Justice told the AP. Mm. Red flag number. Well, yep. How many? So you got wired in the AP, right? Yep. Amazon spokesman Brad Glasser told Wired. So now you've got the mouthpiece. We're always listening and we'll continue to do so, but we're happy with how the first month of having more people back in the office has been. Of course. <laughs> oh. There's more energy, collaborations, and connections happening. And we've heard from lots of employees in the businesses no, that surround our offices. No, he, yes. Without coding or, or even trotting one out. <clears throat> However, Church Hindley, an Amazon quality assurance engineer, told the AP that working from home has improved his health and quality of life. I'm not suited for in-office work, he said. I deal with depression and anxiety, and I was able to get off my anxiety meds and start living my life. Like, literally was able to just, working from uh -huh. home made the difference. And Pamela Hader, which is kind of funny, she started the Remote Advocacy Internal Slack Channel, which now has 33,000 members. Internal Slack Channel. That's only inside available to Amazon employees at Slack. 33,000 members advocating for remote work. During the Seattle rally, she slammed RT, the RTO mandate, um, saying, I can't believe that a company in this day and age, a company that claims to be an innovative leader in its space, would do that to one of its most precious resources, its employees. Ha, <laughs> ha. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's have a conversation about this, shall we? Um, mm. All right. Problem number one: return to work um, does suck, and I'm certainly down with protesting return to work. But how about like collaborating with and organizing with the warehouse workers? They never had a work from home policy where they had a return to work three days a week in the office. Like, they're not going to be down with the return to work thing, uh, you know, with, with you wanting to stay home and work from home, except that the proof shows that workers were as productive or productivity increased in most cases during pandemic. It's just that the bosses lost less visibility into what their employees were doing. And that's what their problem is. They're losing their sense of control over their employees. So now they're trying to implement mm -hmm. monitoring software and all kinds of bullshit to do that. That's what this is about. All right. Number one, uh, I got all kinds of. Uh, just. Climate justice policy, that's really why you're walking out on lunch. I'm walking out at lunch. And did they go back an hour later? <laughs> what were the consequences to Amazon for this? Like. There's no consequences. Right. There's, this was like, what? <laughs> like, no acknowledgement of the Amazon labor union. No acknowledgement of any kind of organization going on across the fucking company? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What? What is this? Yes. What is this? What is this? What? 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 Like. What I, is this? Just. Losing my stuff here because 
I I love Common Dreams. Fuck? Yeah, I, I love Common Dreams and Brett Wilkin. That that that, that article was kind of dog shit. Um, and sometimes they're forced and asked to write articles that they have to write to fill stuff, and I get that. But that one was not not so great. Um, I'm happy that Amazon workers are starting to take a stand against management, although it doesn't sound like it was really much of a stand, to be honest. Um, right. They they gave up a lunch hour to stand outside and get some PR. And yeah, so Restream bot bot block screw Google. What? How how can that be? Restream bot can't block anybody. Sorry, dude. Uh, okay. All right, I'm done with that story. Um, let's check out chat. Good. Hi, everybody. What what's Hi, up? Everybody. We got bad cookies. We got we got 30, 30 some odd people live right now. That's great. Thank you for being here and appreciate you, Mouse SF. Let's see, let's see. Who is who's got something to say? Reef, you see Yay! anything? Yeah, dude, Mouse, you're nuts. What? Peace. Last night at the strike, it was all we had, and the line at the grocery store was about two hours long, so I walked out. Damn. Mm. EC dub, EC dub. Well, we like that. Okay. Lots of conversation going on here that I can't keep up with because I do want to get to the next story. We got some nice buzz going on here. Cool. Cool. All right. Hi, everybody. Colin, INN in the house. Great stuff this week, man. So proud of, so proud of Colin. Stepping up. RBN. Hardlands Media. Bad. INN News. Bad cookies says they're jelly right now. Well, I'll be your peanut butter. <laughs> um. <laughs> 14 grams of 30% uh, orange push pop. Ooh, that's pretty. Um, I'm, I'm hitting some. What, what was that? What was that? What was the strain that the, the, the Ooga Booga Skywalker cake from, from uh oz the boomer in them yesterday i think that's what it was it was funny i'm hitting um, green crack with it right now my funny. guys got me some beautiful indica hybrid indica heavy nice. hybrids and i mean uh the sativa heavy hybrids indica into couch just like kamala uh, apparently that's that's her cia code name is into couch but anyway mm -hmm. uh that's what they say all right cheer post Hey, what do you know? Another Indie Media Award honoree. We like to feature them around here because they write they write the best stuff and they're the best there are. They do. By the way, if you're on Rumble, you're fake views. I'm kidding. Hopefully you're not fake, fake views. views. And say something in chat because I've had chat up the whole time and nobody said a word in chat. Rumble.com slash C slash independent left news. All one word. Okay. Slash fake news. This, <laughs> this is an amazing draw, uh, comment, you know, whatever you want to call it, sketch drawn by Mr. Fish, who is a beautiful mm. leftist. And I know, I think I've seen him in RBN chats or in somebody's chat recently. And I, he, he likes orange. It's orange. actually red, but it turned, it looks orange there, but it's, it's, a, it's a bloody orangey red. And the reason why is because Chris Hedges wrote an article called the Democratic Party's Crucifixion of Matt Taibbi. And mm. I can't, you know, agree more with him. Um, this is, you know, Chris Hedges doesn't write short articles, but this is one of his short articles. Reese going to hate me about that. Um, but I thought that this yeah. one also, like all the ones that we cover, are important. Um, 
and I only saw it's really funny. Lee Camp actually covered this yesterday. I saw that he did a thing about Chris Hedges and Matt Taibbi. I'm like, God damn, is this guy looking at our show notes? Does he have access to our Google Drive or something? Because it feels yep. like we do a lot of the same stuff. And shout out to Lee Camp. I know he was on Savvy Sabs earlier today, so go check that out. Chris Hedges, the Democratic Party's crucifixion of Matt Taibbi. And I, I, I hate dictating, but I, I want to read this because it's so, it, it really is kind Crazy. of break cray. On December 24th, 2022, Christmas Eve, which is actually, I was in the ER, Matt Taibbi was in a room at the Park 55 Hotel in San Francisco, pouring through reports sent to Twitter from an entity called the Foreign Influence Task Force, or the FITF. The FITF is an FBI-led interagency task force that forwards moderation requests from numerous government agencies, including Homeland Security, CIA, Pentagon, State Department, the social media outlets. Yeah, we knew this. Taibbi was given access to the internal traffic by Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk. It revealed how the FBI and other government agencies, OGAs, routinely suppress news and commentary. He published a Twitter thread that night, Christmas Eve, with the Twitter headline, Twitter and other government agencies. There would be a list of YouTube videos, he said, when Chris reached him by phone. Uh, this is a you know, relays of, a, of a details of a phone conversation between Chris and Matt. There'd be a notation that we would that would say we assess all that that all these are created by the Internet Research Agency in Russia. We assess that they're promoting anti-Ukraine attitudes. I would see that all these videos are no longer on YouTube, and you can make your own deduction from that. But that was the pattern. They would send Excel spreadsheets full of account names, and all and either all or most of them would <laughs> be gone. Hmm. Not Excel spreadsheets. How dare they? Death by spreadsheet, bro. Um, the content, yeah. the content yeah. was suppressed. That was suppressed included right wing and left wing reports critical of the dominant narrative advanced by the Democratic Party and old establishment wing of the Republican Party, which has been folded into the Democratic Party. The anti-Trumpers, the never Trumpers, threads from the Yellow Vest movement, yeah. activists from the Occupy movement, Global Revolution Live, negative stories about Joe Biden, reports on the Ukrainian energy company Burisma that paid Hunter Biden about a million dollars a year while his father was vice president. Uh, no, right. Is that right? While, while he was VP? I thought it was after he was VP, but I guess it was while. Positive stories about Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. Reports about Ukrainian human rights abuses. Details of the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop were part of the plethora of accounts that were flagged and disappeared. And Chris Hedges himself, I was a victim of this censorship. The six-year archive of my show, On Contact, broadcast on RT America, was erased from YouTube, although not one show was about Russia and none violated YouTube's content guidelines. Episodes were later reposted on the Chris Hedges YouTube channel. The show gave a voice to those targeted by the FITF, anti-imperialists, anti-capitalists, prison reform advocates, Black Lives Matter and Palestinian and activists, anti-fracking activists, and independent intellectuals, journalists, and authors, including David Harvey, Tomsky, Sami El Arian, Glenn Ford, may he rest in power, Amira Hass, Mumia Abu Jamal, Free Mumia, Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, Medea Benjamin, Nils Melzer, Ankaj Mishra, Glenn Greenwald, Matt Taibbi, and Brother Colonel West. 
That's a pretty good list. The FBI, for the release of Taibbi's Twitter thread on December 24th, had denounced the Twitter files, of course, as the work of conspiracy theorists who fed the public misinformation and whose sole purpose was discrediting the agency. Uh-huh. They must think us unambitious if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI, he said. Uh, after all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. Why stop with one? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> So Taibbi was acutely aware of these Christmas Eve revelations for which the first time, which for the first time revealed the role of CIA would further enrage the intelligence agencies, which of course it did. Taibbi says that his understanding is the FITF has a staff of at least 80. It consists primarily of the FBI, but also includes people from DHS, Office of DNI, um, the FITF was the conduit for content moderation requests that went to the tech platforms. They had something called an industry meeting, which was at first. No, which was at first monthly and then weekly <laughs> leading into the 2020 election. I, I think we covered a lot of this in the Twitter files coverage before. Uh, it included companies like Twitter, Facebook. What? Yeah. Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest. Wikimedia, Ugh, that's not WikiLeaks, but that's Wikipedia. A series of others, about two dozen of them. They would have a general briefing on trends, and individually, each of the companies were receiving notices. Some of them were receiving them weekly from FITF. Twitter was, we know that, because there were specific, very specific instructions on how it was done. Requests that came from states went through the DHS. Requests that came from the federal government went through the FBI. They went through a program called Teleporter, and that's how we got those documents. I mean, they, they have this whole thing nailed. Um, and then I didn't know that Matt Taibbi apparently lives in New Jersey. That's Shout out to New Jersey. Chris Hedges and Matt Taibbi and Indy all live in New Jersey. In March, and Colin's mm. mom, and Big Mad, Crab, Big Mad Crab, and Angel Rivera, and a bunch of other people close to us. But in March... Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger were called to testify, as we know, before the Select Subcommittee on Weaponization of the Federal Government. And it was really an ambush from the Democrats while the Republicans asked serious questions. But while Taibbi was testifying on March 9th, an IRS agent visited his house in New Jersey, which I think we also talked about. Right? Taibbi discovered mm -hmm. the IRS opened a case against him on the day that he published his Christmas Eve Twitter thread from a letter House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan sent to IRS Commissioner, Commissioner Daniel Werfel inquiring about Taibbi's case. It was a Saturday. It was Christmas Eve. Maybe he didn't know taxes. The case is four years old. All this suggests that the FBI case was politically motivated and that the FBI was monitoring Taibbi. Yeah, and I don't yep. think there's any surprise there. Axel the Dissident, welcome to Rumble. Woohoo! One real person. Dad, thank you. You are not fake views. All right. Fantastic. Thank you. So, and I will copy and You're paste welcome. your chat over to... <laughs> this is what RBN did. So this was uh, Axel the Dissident posted this over uh, on the Rumbles whoever that is, but thank you, Axel, and good to see you over there. So, quote, Matt Taibbi deduced that there's probably little doubt 
that they were at least that they were at least closely following all the Twitter files reporters, but probably they were monitoring in other ways too. One of the reasons I agreed to testify before the weaponization of government committee, and I got a lot of grief from old lefty friends. I don't know what old lefty friends those were, unless they're kind of Democrats who were upset that I was appearing before a Republican-led committee. Of course, because they're still playing into the red-blue instead of everybody's in it for the green. Was that the yeah. other mainstream news reporters weren't picking up a lot of these stories that I thought really needed some attention. I needed other reporters to do some work on this, and my thinking was if I testified in Washington, it might get some more attention, not just nationally, but maybe globally. And, of course, Taibbi ran into a buzzsaw of orchestrated character assassination. Democratic members of the committee rarely let him speak. They delivered vicious and insulting diatribes. He puts up a clip of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, one of the worst humans that exists, along with Sam Cedar and other hosts of the, the Minority the Report, yep. attacking Taibbi. Okay, I'm not going to play any of that nonsense. They don't deserve our airtime or any of our space. He says, I expected there to be hostility in the questioning, but what happened in that hearing was amazing, even to be involved with as a spectator. And I think he basically told Savvy Sabs the same thing. Rather than engage with the material yep. of the Twitter files reporting on any level, even negatively, it was pure character assassination. The ranking member called us a direct threat to the people who oppose us. We were so-called journalists. We were the lapdogs and scribes of Elon Musk. We didn't believe in Russian interference. We didn't respect authority. I had tinfoil hat. I was told I had a tinfoil hat I was told to take off by one member. It was one member after the other creating clips of video that were replayed on MSNBC, you mean MSDHS, and CNN later that night. That was how people got the news about that hearing. Yes. We grew up in an atmosphere where the Democrats were always the champions of free speech. Yes, they used to be, more so than the Republicans. Through the 70s, 80s, 90s, early to even the early 2000s. Suddenly on this issue, it was wall-to-wall -wall hostility. There wasn't a Dennis Kucinich or Bernie Sanders type. Bernie Sanders type who stands out from the crowd. Because guess what? Bernie Sanders certainly didn't stand out from the crowd either. There are no dissenters in the ranks of this party anymore. Now, Bernie Sanders isn't in the House. He couldn't do anything to stand up in the committee. But he certainly could have stood up and defended Matt Taibbi at any point. Has that man opened his mouth? All, all the Bernie cucks still out there? No, they think Matt Taibbi's a, a I don't know, like uh, working for Putin, which is hilarious. Putin. But Matt continues that the old school ACLU-like liberals, they're just gone now. Well, that's kind of us. They're, we're independent now. Yeah. There's this new movement that doesn't really believe in countering bad speech with better speech. They believe in closing it off and shutting it down. That's what the Twitter files were about. That's why there was so much hostility. Mm -hmm. Taibbi was yep. informed that there were problems with his 2018 tax return. Uh huh. The IRS said it had sent him letters right. about the issue. The IRS. Right. That he filed with. Now, if you file through an accountant and you have that, they send something to your accountant. So his accountant didn't get anything. He mm -hmm. certainly didn't get anything. Which, side note, I love how Biden is now using the IRS, like all the new members of the IRS as saying he made more government government jobs. Right. Like 87,000 IRS agents. Now. Right. Well, we right. created jobs. <laughs> we increased the size of the federal right. government. Right. Government. To, go after, to go after people that, that didn't report their $600 withdrawals from the ATM. Um, 
Now that's a lot of damage. Yeah. So, you know, he also had electronic confirmation from the IRS that his 2018 tax return had been received. But it was only when Congressman Jordan wrote to the IRS asking for clarification that he became aware of the files that the IRS had amassed on him. These included information from taken from search engines and commercial investigative software such as Anywho, Consumer Affairs, and LexisNexis. They had his voter registration records, whether he possessed a hunting and fishing license, whether he had a concealed carry permit, his telephone right. numbers, articles he'd written, and articles written about him. Now, why would an you IRS know what that agent concealed carry permits about? Well, why would they need to know that? Right. Right. They want to Case know. Case Matt they, just decides to start blasting. Bow, right. bow. If, if they bow. decide to come busting in the door, exactly. So he's asking, yeah. why would an IRS agent. I'm in danger. Right. Why would an IRS agent need to know anything about my <laughs> professional history or about controversies I've been involved with or things that I'd written about? Oh, that seemed pretty dubious. They're not worried about the optics, about doing something like sending an IRS agent to the home of a journalist who has a big platform and a reputation for not being able to. Uh, not being afraid to say something about it. He said, they're not worried yeah. about how this looks. It's a, con it's concerning for a number of reasons. And it reminds you of things you would see in a third world country. Well, in a lot of ways we do live yes. in a third world country. So yeah. Um, so Taibu was interviewed more by like MSNBC doobie, host. Doobie dubious. Interviewed. Well, more like ambush, but uh, interviewed by yeah. MSDHS host, Mehdi Hassan. Throw a shoe at Mehdi Hassan oh, yeah, for Richard Meadows. Hassan, or his researchers, yeah. had combed through Taibbi's reports and found a couple very minor errors, including a confused timeline and a misplaced acronym, uh, CIS-A instead of CIS. Uh, it's like it's CIS and then CIS-A, which are two different organizations, and he retracted it and he changed it and he agreed, he admitted that it was wrong, that uh, he got it confused, whatever it is, but... AOC seconded the accusation. Of course she did. The ranking committee member, Stacey Plaskett, who actually has no vote on the committee, sent Taibbi a letter accusing him of lying to Congress, and she threatened him with a five-year prison sentence. We talked about that. And that there are three steps to de destroying a reporter who can't be bought off or intimidated. This is Chris Hedges telling this story now. The first is a campaign by the powerful whose lies and crimes have been exposed, along with their obsequious courtiers in the press, to discredit the reporting. Second is a sustained campaign of character assassination. Third is a persecution carried out once the reporter's credibility has been weakened, his or her ability to publish or broadcast is degraded, and public support has, erod has eroded. This is what happened to Julian Assange. Free Julian Assange. Free him now. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It happened before Assange to Don Hollenbeck and I.F. Stone and Gary Webb, Ray Bonner, and many others. It's what is happening to Taibbi, whose revelations of widespread censorship by the FBI, CIA, Homeland Security, and other government and intel agencies, OGAs, have enraged the ruling class. Mm -hmm. You said Bonner. I did. I don't know <laughs> if they'll win. Let us hope not. But the deafening silence by nearly all press outlets to what they're doing to Taibi, as is true for Assange, is ominous and self-defeating. 
It sends a signal to those who attempt to report about the inner workings of a power that no matter how well known you are or how profile, how high a profile you have, you too will be targeted. The concerted attacks on Taibi are an example of how the walls are steadily closing in to impose an iron conformity. One more the walls piece, are closing in. One more brick in the wall. One more piece of our emergent <laughs> corporate totalitarianism. Nobody wants to deal with a full-throated negative media campaign that you that you volunteer for when you do this kind of work. He said, "It never goes away. It's kind of a drag." We've seen it happen with you, with Glenn Greenwald after the Snowden business, and it happened with him at, again during RussiaGate. And it's not fun. People don't want to go through it. It's a disincentive to do counter-narrative work. So Matt says, it's funny, Chris. I thought a lot about during this process about your book, Death of the Liberal Class. There have been so many different instances where basic story that we're looking at with a lot of Twitter files reports were breakdown of the system of checks and balances. <laughs> Civil society organizations, the media, private industry, and the government, they're all supposed to have different interests. They have a check on each other. But what we're seeing is underneath the surface, they're engaged in anti-competitive behavior. It's basically media, these internet censors, the enforcement agencies and NGOs, all acting in concert against the population as opposed to checking each other. You were predicting this. When these institutions break down, when they don't work anymore, this is what happens. It's a pretty quick step to consolidation of authority. That's the scary part. Once upon a time, if you were in media, even a small offense in, in this direction would have attracted solidarity amongst the ranks. And now there's nothing. Somebody got censored the other day or, you know, came, you know, Mike Figueredo, Humanist Report, complained about being demonetized uh, and not making any money. But talking about solidarity. Oh, demonetized. Media, okay. Well, not really demonetized. He just like, hasn't made any money on his channel since being taken off the TYT boosted algorithm. Yeah, welcome to the right. world where everybody else has been living for the last few years, Mikey boy. But right. it sucks, and reinstate whatever... Well, you know what? He shouldn't even have it reinstated. He deserves to be down here with us. He's shit on Colin. He's attacking <laughs> RBN. The hell with this guy. Sorry. You know, JB, again, I know JB. He's I love JB. He's, he's, he's a better man than any of us, I'll tell you. Because... He said, he reached out and said, hey, YouTube, restore his stuff. I know Sabby even said so, but I can be petty, and I'll wear my petty. That's fine. Mike Figueredo, sorry, not sorry. But sucks that you're being censored. It also sucks that you called to censor tons and tons of people and never stepped up to say a word about anybody else that was censored with a much larger platform the entire time to do so. So. Problem gets serious. Hi, guys. Come on, guys. All right. Grow up. Get serious. Yeah. So Matt decried the role me that major media organizations played in hunting down, down Jack Teixeira, National Guard technology support staffer who posted classified documents online. Okay, Chris. Instead of reporting on the contents of big intel leaks, the Washington Post and New York Times worked with Bellingcat. <laughs> to deliver this suspect to the authorities. This is a new role for the mm -hmm. media. It's a big shift in how the press thinks of itself. 
It doesn't see itself as something separate from the government or law enforcement. It sees itself as on the same side. Because it's whatever's going to get them the story. Yep. There were probably a lot of people who were frightened by the spectacle and rise of Donald Trump, he said. They were told over and over and over again. Yes, well, they will definitely be rude. They are told over and over and over again (laughs) that this was a Christian nationalist neo-fascist movement. There are elements of that for sure, but there's and there's real truth to that. But in response to it, they became exactly the thing they were telling everybody they were fighting against. By the time people wake up, it might be a bit too late, which is unfortunate. And that's Taibbi saying that. And here's Chris Hedges, a dedicated ruling class, which has disemboweled the nation for its corporate masters and whose primary mission is the perpetuation of permanent war, has no intention of carrying out reform. It will permit an exchange of ideas or allow its critics a platform. It will not permit an exchange of ideas or allow its critics a platform. It knows it is hated. It doesn't care. It fears the rise of neo-fascists. Its defunctions and corruption have spawned. It seeks to perpetuate itself only through fear. Fear of what will replace it. Oh my God, have you seen the other guy? That's basically the Democrats' campaign. That is all it has to offer to a demoralized citizenry. Constitutional guarantees of free speech and the right to privacy are noisome impediments to its tenuous grip on power. These constitutional rights have effectively been abolished. What the Twitter files revealed is a massive government is that massive government blacklists and the craven acquiescence of media platforms to marginalize and ban individuals and groups on these blacklists. Taibbi, not surprisingly, is also being targeted by the totalitarian machine that he exposed. (laughs) So keep fighting the government, folks, because they're only going to seek to destroy you as you do so. There's the incentive to do watchdog journalism. Yeah. I fucking hate it here, guys. Tara made the right move. Thank you, Misty. So, I'd love to at You're some thankful point. Today, I would. I would <laughs> yeah, I'm very. I'm, I'm thankful every day. But I would love to at some point have a right? conversation with Matt. That'd be really fascinating. Um, big fan of his work seriously? for many, many years. Yeah, seriously. Um, by the way, Jimmy I mean seriously is in like seriously, not like oh. seriously. Oh, but yes. I feel you. Uh, we got a spoopy in the house. <laughs> 40 people watching live. Boom. Boom, cool. All right. Good. Because now we're going to get to the to the story that I am, the set of stories that I think everybody's here for, which are the Assange stories. The beautiful, wonderful, and Tara Reed lookalike, or Tara Reed doppelganger twin, Stefania Marizzi, brilliant journalist, um, Maybe on this list, this year's list of indie media award honorees, but was not on the initial list. Certainly, certainly deserves and earns the the honor to be there. She's been publishing and working with WikiLeaks for years and years and years. <clears throat> so, first of all, I want to shout out to INN's Misty comrade, Misty Winston. Stefania is my hero. We mean we need more people like her. Hashtag Free Assange now. There was a um, at some kind of an event in Oslo where they actually had 
one of the freed Guantanamo Bay prisoners who was giving yeah. a speech about <clears throat> imprisonment and torture and Jeremy Corbyn was there and um, it was a, an all-star lineup that was shared by Matt O'Brien and uh, shout out to Matt as well. Hope you're watching. Good to see you. Thank you for all you do out there to keep awareness and keep this story out there and alive. Cause I know that you're activists pretty, yep. pretty deep and Misty's said that you're fantastic and we kind of agree. So judge ordered the crown prosecution service service to come clean about the destruction of key documents on Julian Assange. Now it's really starting to come out folks. It's like years later, there's a lot of pressure to free him. The Biden administration is now kind of under orders. They're the third administration now to be pushing this. WikiLeaks. So after years of running up against a brick wall, the first crack has appeared in, with the latest ruling on Stefania's FOIA case issued by Judge O'Connor. In addition to the ruling, British Labor MP John McDonnell has just obtained new info from the Crown Prosecution Service. McDonnell is calling for an independent inquiry into the CPS's role in the Assange case. That's big. That's a Labor member of Parliament. Yep. Like, what? Yep. For the last six years, they've rejected all of our attempts to shed light on the destruction of key documents in the Assange case, even though the emails were deleted when the high-profile controversial case was still ongoing. Amazing. But now the British authorities at the CPS have to come clean. They must declare whether they hold any information as to when, how, and why that documentation was deleted. And if they do hold it, they must either release it to us or clarify the grounds for their refusal. This order was just issued by the London First Tier Tribunal, chaired by Judge O'Connor, in response to Stefania's litigation based on the UK Freedom of Information Act, or FOIA, in which they're represented by top-notch FOIA specialist Estelle Dehan of Cornerstone Barristers in London. Wow, that's... That's like earthquake stuff. This is big crack in the in the wall. Like, are they starting to, you know, let a little air out of the balloon so that they can prep to maybe let him out? Like, I got another story coming up that I think they're going to have to let him go. <laughs> I really do. So CPS must, we, we must whisper of a dream. I'm whisper. I don't know. I'm screaming of a dream. But the CPS must comply with this judicial order by June 23rd. So we're going to find out quick. And, fa and any failure on their part to do so could lead to contempt proceedings. And I don't know what that entails and what the punishments are under contempt. Ever since 2017, when we first discovered the documents had been destroyed, we've consistently run up against a brick wall. The CPS has always maintained that deletion of those documents was in conformity with their standard operating procedure. A previous ruling in 2017 by the London First Tier Tribunal, chaired by a different judge, Andrew Bartlett, averred that there was nothing untoward about their deletion, right? Uh, and that the British body instituted to uphold information rights, the, the ICO, has always been pleased with the decision that there was nothing untoward about it. This new ruling by Judge O'Connor is the first crack in the brick wall. So... Judge O'Connor's also confirmed that WikiLeaks is a media organization, not a spy agency. Though he rejected all our requests to access the full correspondence between CPS and the U.S. State Department, the U.S. Department of Justice, Swedish Prosecution Authority, 
and the Ecuadorian authorities on the Julian Assange case from 2010 to 2019. And we know why. And we're going we're gonna to talk about why in a minute, but it seems that at some point they actually reclassified Assange as a terrorist and, as, and WikiLeaks as a terrorist organization, which is why there were, there were plans drawn up to assassinate him in London. And again, we're going to get to all this, right? I'm sorry. Relative to the correspondence between CPS and Ecuador, the judge ruled in favor of the CPS, maintaining an exemption to the neither confirm nor deny that the British and Ecuadorian authorities had exchanged emails on the case. Great. Free Julian Assange. Free him right now. Let this man out like now. I don't care that it's four in the morning. Let him out. As for the case on all other correspondence <clears throat> between the CPS and, and Swedish authorities, between CPS and State Department, Justice Department, Judge O'Connor ruled that if released, the documentation would risk damaging the, the relationship of trust and confidence that underlies information sharing between prosecuting authorities and that it would likely have a chilling effect on the relationship with both the Swedish and U.S. authorities as well as with other foreign authorities. Yeah, because there's a lot of dirty laundry in there. The ruling was issued in two forms. A decision available to the public and a separate closed decision which can be accessed only by the UK authorities at the CPS and by ICO. That's interesting. The documentation on which the closed ruling is based includes, among other documents, over 552 pages of correspondence between the CPS and the Department of Justice, between the CPS and the State Department, between 2010 and 2019, including the provision of legal advice and queries on wider strategic matters relating to Mr. Assange's extradition to that country. That's the stuff that they were talking about in the Isakoff letter, in the Isakoff piece um, for, for Yahoo, the one where Pompeo was talking about assassinating uh, or have either him or somebody from CIA or someone from MI5 assassinating Assange in a shootout on a London street. I remember that was very clear. They were talking about that back in the fall. Yep. Right. So mm -hmm. amazing stuff. Um, so that was given, like they just said right there, like she said, that was given to CPS and ICO. They now definitely have or have to reveal those 552 pages of correspondence. We know they exist. I would like to know what's in that correspondence too. Hmm. So this correspondence is part of the documentation, which we've been requesting under FOIA for years and which has always been denied to us. And yet accessing it would be crucial as British authorities are assisting the U S government in extraditing a journalist for revealing war crimes and torture as if he was a mafia boss or drug dealer and jailing him as if he were a terrorist. I love how you literally mmmed your coffee. Mmm. Mm. Coffee. <laughs> My daughter literally licks her lips after she eats, so now I know where she gets it from. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Coffee. Mm. You're welcome. It's, I'm, I'm Harvey Keitel. In, it's Harvey Keitel in, in Pulp Fiction. Mm. <laughs> Mm. From Amnesty International uh, to the International Federation. We have fun here, folks. The, even though yeah, this is do. horrific stuff. 
Man's locked yeah, up in prison oh, for life and facing 175 years in prison, but we're 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 giggling and we have to make light of this as best yeah. we can. But see, it wasn't it wasn't like a normal like. There's like a there's like mm. a, a the the hot mm, like mm, mm, that's hot. Mm, that's like, good. but no, yours was like mm, coffee. <laughs> like mm. that's yeah. anyway. Continue. That. Thank you. So, from yeah. Amnesty International to the International Federation of Journalists, all major organizations. Uh, for the defense of human rights and freedom of the press have all called for the extradition case to be dropped in Assange Freed. He remains in prison, however, waiting for British justice to decide on his appeal against extradition to the United States, where he risks 175 years in prison for obtaining and publishing classified U.S. government files. Let's just talk about 175 years. 175 years? Okay. All requests to drop the charges and free Julian Assange have been ignored by the U.S. and British governments. Uh, all decisions and opinions of highly respected U.N. bodies like the U.N. Working Group on Arbitrary Detention or the U.N. Special Rapporteur on Torture from 2016 to 2022, Nils Melzer, have been completely ignored by the British government, if not ridiculed, as occurred with the UNWGAD decision. Now that Judge O'Connor has rejected our request to access these documents, in particular the correspondence between the U.S. and U.K., the oversight rule that the Fourth Estate should play also risks being severely undermined. And yet we are not alone in our call for public scrutiny. In addition to this authoritative report by Nils Melzer and our FOIA battle, recently a British Labour Member of Parliament, John McDonnell, has submitted a FOIA request to the CPS full of detailed questions which were just answered by the Crown Prosecution Service. Speaking to IFQ, um, John McDonald told them that it's become clear that there must now be an independent inquiry into the role of the CPS in relation to the case of Julian Assange. We need full openness and transparency. I like that. So this talks about the role of the prosecution service in the Assange case. What what did it do? It's been a key player since the very beginning, 2010, the year in which Assange and WikiLeaks published the first classified U.S. documents for which he risks life in prison. And the very same year, he ended up under investigation in Sweden for alleged rape. Since 2015, the author of this article, Stefania, has been engaged in trench warfare to unearth the facts about Julian Assange, uh, oh, the author of, and the WikiLeaks journalist through FOIA cases in the UK. Oh, right. So she wants to know what, they, what they're talking about and what they know. In UK, Sweden, US, Australia, we've experienced tremendous pushback, and the process has been fabulously expensive. Four governments have been denying us access to the documentation. And nonetheless, our FOIA work has permitted unearthing some crucial information, such as the fact that it was the CPS that advised the prosecutors with the Swedish Protection Authority against the only investigative strategy which could have led to a quick resolution of the Swedish case, questioning Assange in London, rather than insisting on questioning him only after extraditing him to Sweden. Why? To Sweden, yeah. Yeah. This legal advice was delivered by Paul Close, a lawyer with CPS's Special Crime Division, which is the division responsible for prosecuting high-profile cases, and help create the legal and diplomatic quagmire which helped keep 
Sanj arbitrarily detained in London from 2010, initially under house arrest for 18 months, and then confined in the Ecuadorian embassy for seven years. Ecuadorian prison for seven years. Oh, embassy. That wasn't a prison. Now yep. he's been in Belmarsh, a real prison, in 2013. That's, yes. Even the Swedish authorities began to question the dead end into which they had waited at the advice of the British authorities by insisting on extradition. They considered dropping the extradition case, writing to the CPS, hope I didn't ruin your weekend. Why would a Swedish prosecutor dropping an extradition attempt for a sex case in Sweden ruin the weekend of CPS authorities? There are too many unanswered questions in this case. Some of the key decisions were taken when the CPS was headed by Keir Starmer, current leader of the British Labour Party. What role, if any, did Starmer play in the Julian Assange case? Why is he currently leading the Labour Party, and why is he was he prime minister? Briefly, the highly anomalous handling of the Swedish case by both the Swedish prosecutors and the CPS resulted in justice for no one. Contributed to the devastation of Assange's health, cost British taxpayers at least thirteen point two million pounds to keep the Ecuadorian embassy under siege resulted in the UN Working Group on Arbitrary Detention decision that Sweden and Britain had arbitrarily detained him since 2010, and finally led the UN Special Rapporteur on Torture, Nils Melzer, to denounce 50 perceived due process violations. Not, not much, right? Yep. What, what role did Keir Starmer yep. play in that? I'll, I'll let you kind of wax poetic on that for a second. I think you have some thoughts on Keir Starmer and what the Brits have done to Julian. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, I mean, the fact that this is, they've thrown it. It's straight up. He said he lied. Like he said, he lied in this case. Like their, their main witness said he was lying. Like, how are we still detaining him? And why are the Brits detaining him? Uh, Other than completely like, right. Being bullied Other than, by uh, 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 the U.S., I, keep I, him in a holding pattern for us. They have, they have no case against him. Yep. Hey, he's an Australian citizen to begin with, so you're trying him for something that was lied about. He's not. Where's where's the Australian government to like get this guy out of here? Well, uh, we we know what just happened. Uh, they just they just made a deal. They just made a deal. Um, they're gonna they're gonna do more NASA shit in Australia, basically. Right, and that's what they got. Right, and you know that that's what they got for looking the other way and shutting the hell up because Alba was supposed to say something We're to Biden. F- yeah, thanks, thank you. So again, thankful. I'm great. I'm very grateful tonight. The Swedish case. Is now, <laughs> I know. Swedish case is now closed. Yet not only do these questions and the alleged violations flagged by Nils Melzer remain unaddressed, but the CPS is still playing a prominent role in the Assange case, as the United States is acting through CPS to try to extradite him to the U.S. That's why it's crucial to dig into the actions of the CPS to assess its full correspondence with the American, Swedish, and Ecuadorian authorities, and in particular, to access the correspondence of Paul Close. Why? All authorities have refused to clarify how many pages they hold on Assange, but the Crown Prosecution Service did provide us with an estimate of their correspondence with SPA, that's the one in Sweden, 
From 2010 to 2015, they reportedly exchanged between 7,200 and 9,600 pages. Over the last eight years of our FOIA battle, we've obtained just 551 pages from the CPS and 1,373 pages from the Swedish Prosecution Authority. Of these 1,373 pages, only 310 represent correspondence between SPA and CPS. They got a bunch of other stuff with it. When we tried to access the full correspondence of Paul Close, the CPS replied that his account had been deleted after he retired in 2014 and that, quote, all the data associated with his account was deleted when he retired and cannot be recovered. How convenient. We covered this. Yep. By the way, on, I think, INN News, we covered it as well. I think you did. Um, Is that Kiriaku did that part? I think think that had something to do with a Kiriaku thing, maybe. Somebody. Sweden um, also destroyed somebody. a substantial part of the documentation on the case, including an email from the FBI dated March 2017, when we know the CIA was formulating plans to kidnap or kill Julian Assange. We discovered this fact only last February, and only because the Crown Prosecution Service disclosed this information about their Swedish colleagues to us after we tried to obtain these documents from Sweden for years to no avail. To this day... Swedish authorities have not provided us with any explanation as to why key documents were destroyed or when and how and on whose instructions. All of our attempts to shed light on the matter through litigation have failed. Not surprise. Um, why were key documents destroyed by CPS? It's probably the key question that he, they've always maintained. There was nothing unusual about the deletion of his account. It was deleted three months after he retired in 2014. And at that point, Keir Starmer was no longer even director of prosecution at CPS. Hmm. It's also always maintained that the deletion of the account was consistent with their record management policies, but CPS's record management manual states that general correspondence related to a criminal case file should be retained for, quote, five years from the date of the most recent correspondence. That would still be five years from today because they're still going on, but they deleted it anyway. Right, because it's still a relevant, active criminal file case. The guy's in prison there now. So, yep. after reiterating to us for years that Paul Close's emails were destroyed three months after he retired, last January, the CPS changed their version of the facts, stating that there is a document which is described as desk instructions in relation to the deleting of material within 30 days. So... Was Paul Close's account deleted within after three months or after 30 days? And why was it deleted? Is the Crown Prosecution Service confident that all the relevant emails and documents were transferred from the email account and copied to the case file before deletion? My guess would be no, but she's asking the question. So in recent months, we've got a member of parliament from Labour, John McDonald, He filed a FOIA request with the CPS to learn whether the then Director of Prosecution, Keir Starmer, was involved about the advice Paul Close gave the Swedish prosecutors not to question Assange in London and about the fact that the Swedes considered dropping the extradition case in 2013. Why they're getting so granular at this point? Why do you need this little nitpicky bullshit whatever reason? Let the guy out. Free this man. Free this man. All right. He also asked which documents CPS destroyed. 
why, how, and on whose instructions, and if CPS could provide him with a list of legal cases in which the CPS deleted key documents in the last decade other than this. Finally, McDonald asked whether Paul Close's email account could be retrieved from any backup tapes or any other backup me methods. My guess is there's probably a backup dat sitting around somewhere that's got it. So, with regard to Keir Starmer, CPS replied to the British parliamentarian, a parliamentarian that has teeth, how about that? And a search yeah. of the documentation has revealed no indication that the CPS hold information on whether Starmer was involved about those key decisions relative to Assange. Yeah, they don't put that stuff in writing. However, they confirmed, they clarified, we hold 59 boxes of information pertaining to the case of Mr. Assange. Oh my God! The team concluded yep. that it would not be proportionate to review all of these in depth in keeping with the provisions of Why the not? FOIA Act. What? Why not? Give me those boxes right now. What's in the box? As with the destruction of Paul Close's email account, the CPS argued that it cannot know that all relevant emails were transferred to the case file before the account was deleted, though that was the standard practice. Finally, the public authority replied that CPS does not hold any backups of deleted email accounts and that in the last decade, they could only identify a single case of premature destruction of case material deleted to, related to a case other than that of Julian Assange. While CPS does not characterize the case that of the deletion of Paul Close's account as a data breach, in the other case, it does. That's also interesting. Such bad luck for Julian Assange. He was held in limbo for almost a decade in part thanks to the legal advice CPS gave to the Swedish prosecutors. Key correspondence on this case was destroyed perhaps three months or perhaps 30 days after the lawyer who worked on his case from the very start retired. There's no way to know what was destroyed and what was kept. There are no backups. In 10 years, there was only one case of premature destruction of documents. One other case. Assange's bat bad luck, back luck, was such that not only did the pr pr Crown Prosecution Service destroy documentation on his case, but Swedish prosecutors did so as well. As for the rest of the correspondence between CPS and the U.S. authorities, obtaining it by going through the law would seem to be mission impossible. John? That's, not, that's Mortal Kombat. Yeah, it's very similar. It's very similar. Right. John McDonald's believes that there must be an independent inquiry into the role of the CPS in relation to the case of Assange. It could be the last and only chance. Will it happen? I don't know. But I don't know. Thanks to the phenomenal people over at Consortium News, Kathy Vogan. Shout out to Kathy. She's phenomenal. She is, yes, an Indie Media Award winner, or at least Consortium News is. But Kathy publishes this tweet and says, for all you techs out there who want to know exactly why the Assange hacking allegations are bogus, here's the statement of the forensic examiner, Patrick Eller, expert witness in the extradition hearing. She says, one thing I should add is that in re-examination, uh, uh, Eller apologized 
for using for using Assange's name in his statement because there was no proof, nor was he asked to prove that the moniker Manning was chatting with was Assange. And she puts that here with this tea skiff or whatever. This is very complex stuff. Rika Haddad writes a whole article about it, and that's what I want to share with you now. So let me go here, and I will back out of... Go back one. Uh, back here. Keep out. Bring this up and go to Tariq Haddad's article. It's actually like really deep stuff. Metadata. <clears throat> Shit. Uh, who broke it down? Matt O'Brien broke it down today, and I don't. I didn't bring that up. Damn it. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, uh, Matt, 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 Matt. Cue, cue the Jeopardy music. All right. Release some chats. Oh boy. I put the um. <laughs> I put the link to our episode on INN News with special guest Misty Winston. Um where we talked about those Assange files being purged. So Sweet. people should control click that little link out and watch it after after boats. Sweet. Um, okay. I'm on I'm on his page. Uh there's that Mansoor thing from earlier today. Uh he broke it down. Where was it? This was here it is. Boom. This is an awesome thread. And we're gonna go through this thread real quick. Okay. Uh you're not seeing my DMs. Good. Now let's go back here. We'll go to IndieBean. Okay. And we'll blow this up a little bit more so you can see it. So this is Matt O'Brien. Go follow him. He's awesome. So what he says is that even the allegation that, that Assange may have tried to help Manning be anonymous is bogus. They have nothing. Free Julian now. All right. And what he's saying is, is... Out of this report, and this is the report that actually was released in 2010, I believe, in 2020, September 25th, Assange extradition hearings statement of Patrick Eller. So we're just getting access to this. And what this is talking about is that this is shocking. I, I at least thought that they had a slither of grounds for suspicion. Assange may have tried to help Manning protect her identity, but they have nothing. This testimony is from none other than the former command digital forensic examiner for the U.S. Army. He kind of has some knowledge about this. Right? Feel me? Mm -hmm. This expert testimony debunks the theory that Assange provided any assistance to Manning and strong evidence for an alternative explanation. Chiefly, Manning had... Yeah, but that Manning had already leaked most of the documents before the Jabber chat alleged to be with Assange even happened. Oh, great. So he just collected all of it. Mm-hmm. Cool. It was already out there and public. The hash Manning allegedly asked someone on this Jabber for help to crack would not have given her access to more material or even anonymous access to any material. Evidence is strong that she instead wanted it for reinstalling software after computers were re-imaged. More on her motive of cracking hash 
only to reinstall programs after re-imaging. Others testified during her trial that she was asked to help reinstall software that was not approved, but was deemed useful by her colleagues. And I, I read this earlier, so what a shock. Once again, key evidence was destroyed that would have helped to, prov to prove this alternative, despite specifically being requested by the defense team. So you, what you see is, again, a pattern of things being, evidence being destroyed regularly. So to summarize, there is not a shred of evidence that Julian played any active part in the Manning leaking. Evidence to the contrary exists, and the key evidence was destroyed. This testimony was provided by the former Digital Command, Command Digital Forensic Examiner for the U.S. Army of all people, where he says that he served for 20 years in the U.S. Army during which time he held positions of the role of criminal investigator and supervisor of, of investigations relating to digital evidence in particular. From 2012 until 2019, he was the Command Digital Forensic Examiner and was responsible for all administrative inspection and oversight functions within a digital forensic program, which included more than 80 forensic examiners at U.S. Army Criminal Investigation head, uh, Command Headquarters in Quantico. This is the guy who testified that there's no way Assange could have performed any part of the hacking because all the material was already out there and Manning already had it before she contacted Julian Assange. That's what this is. So, again, why is the FBI is not dropping the hacking case? Or not the, the, I mean, the Justice Department, not the FBI, sorry. So that's because next. he did that hack that one time. Just that one time. Right, so that's next. You know. So, so we've got this tweet from Kathy. Then... Kristen, who is running WikiLeaks in Julian's absence, posted this post, this this tweet, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about the FBI reopening the investigation into Julian. <clears throat> I think that we're going to probably glaze over that pretty quickly because there are there is that that new thing that happened with with um, El País today from from the Spanish newspaper that I really want to get to, but. DOJ's failed mission, not even a serial fraudster and sex offender Thorassen could be relied on a star witness. Arson, persons previously hostile to Julian even refused to take his place. Now, will they try next try to enlist astrologers and fortune tellers? The attempt to put legal cosmetics on the prosecution of Julian is becoming more pathetic by the day. Let's just stop this cruel farce and free Assange now. So they've subpoenaed some, nice. some FBI agent named O'Hagan, and we have a long a little bit to talk about with O'Hagan. Um, now, there was a thread. I noticed a quote by Gara Perillo, um, who then writes this thread that's really fascinating. Oh, my God, I just noticed that the cops who went to question Andrew O'Hagan were from Counterterrorism Command. I previously wrote that UK and USA might have secretly classified Julian as a terrorist which would explain the bizarre twists in his case. And now I'm going to pause for a second, and we're going to open up to that thread, because that I found fascinating as well. Okay, let's go back here. Yeah, okay, perfect. Beautiful. Okay, 
Here's the article I wrote for Michael Westbiz two years ago, looking at all the Here's evidence suggesting article I wrote. Right? That Julian I had been secretly it. classified as a terrorist. And that was that's right here. And it was right there. Is it now cool for, and normal for UK anti-terror cops to deliver interview requests for the FBI? That's Australian, by the way. Uh, Empire State Building mm. in London. Oh, Empress. Uh, you know what? I read that three times when I saw Empire State Building. I was like, wow, I didn't <laughs> know there was an Empire State Building in London. No, Someone's em- been Pavloved on that. The Empress yeah. State Building story. Maybe that's where the Empire State Building even got its idea from. I don't know, but. So here there were the, the, key, the key considerations in why they had classified Julian a terrorist secretly were the major stories disappearing from the media about Siggy, about the CIA assassination plans, about the CPS emails, etc., which we just talked about, the lack of due process in legal cases, the fact that Biden called Assange a high-tech terrorist, the U.S. government designating WikiLeaks a non-state hostile intelligence service, plus refusal to release FOIA docs in UK, USA, Sweden, Australia, exactly what Stefania was talking about, and the UC global cases, which had stalled in Spain, but now we've got a little break. And then, of course, the maximum security jail with strip searches for court appearances. So, will the UK cops ever use anti-terror laws to access O'Hagan's tapes? Would we ever know if they did? Well, in 2017, Mike Pompeo called WikiLeaks a non-state hostile intelligence service after often abetted by state actors like Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Labeling Assange a terrorist would help legalize the CIA assassination plans, and UK agreed to, uh, to assist EJ by shooting plane tires. Right? who says, we have to recognize that we can no longer allow Assange and his colleagues the latitude to use free speech values against us. To give them the space to crush us with misappropriated secrets is a perversion of what our great constitution stands for. Misappropriated secrets. To crush us with... Okay. Fuck you, Mike. With with the truths that they got uh, that we didn't want them to get. That's what that... You know... Okay. So, now he says that, update, I am reliably informed that a mutual legal assistance request might well be delivered by UK counterterrorism police in this strange new post-9-11 world we inhabit. Still, I will leave this thread up as I find it all very strange indeed. Strange is the least we can say about that. Yep. Um... All right, so finally... Stranger things indeed. Let's go back. Strange days indeed. Um, Let's talk about O'Hagan for one second. This guy, and we're going to rely on Craig Murray for this one. Craig says, uh, in a response to someone who who is supporting O'Hagan, and this was from 2017, a a comment under one of his articles that O'Hagan is a deeply unpleasant establishment shill. He is wall-to-wall on the BBC lately. During the election campaign, he was given an amazing, uninterrupted 10-minute monologue of the R4 Today program for a piece on how the government now needs to employ tens of thousands of censors in 
battalions for real-time censorship of the internet. Yes, really, I'm not making it up. And considering that BBC just came out with Verify this week, this is also relevant. O'Hagan received £100,000 from Canongate to ghostwrite Assange's autobiography. £50,000 was due to be passed on to Assange after being given all the the documentary materials by Julian O'Hagan decided to renounce the deal and keep all the cash himself, by himself, by doing it without Assange, keeping the documentary material. A very, very nasty person. Not cool. So that's who they're now trying to get the records from about his material that Assange had provided him. Right. The guy who essentially threw him under the bus. Yep. And then we get to the, what I woke up to this morning. Which was this story about UC Global that Misty shared from El Pais. So um, yep. it's pretty unbelievable, but you can read here more than 250 extra gigabytes of files related to the surveillance of the founder. What? Huh? And then we also have Tariq Haddad, who had written, who had written a thing about um, the 2020 release that we talked about earlier that Matt commented on as well, that Kathy has shared. Um, now we also have him commenting on this Al Pais piece. He's written up a report, including his own original reporting on the matter. Um, this is required reading in his opinion. And I would agree because it was really good. So let's go back there. Let's go back here. Let's go to Tariq Haddad's article and let's check out what he's talking about uh but before we do that let's go first to the el pais article because i do want to give credit to the man who wrote this article and there's video here and it's it's kind of heartbreaking but i want to i want to show this too um all right so the writer is jose maria irujo irujo um i want to make sure we've got volume up Good. And go. Do a kickflip. That's not a kickflip. Channel your inner Rondi Mullen. Do it.
it's still. Hello. for giving us that and to the Ecuadorian embassy, I mean, to, you know, the UC global case that's going on in Spain. Um, and we'll have that. Grab us how recent the footage is. Uh, that was from within the Ecuadorian embassy. Um, I don't know exactly when. So that would have been. That would have been like before how 2017. How long have you been in prison for? Well, that would have been before 2019. But I don't know exactly when. Yeah. Hmm. Here's the uh here's the article from El Pais if you want to check that out and read it. Um but I do want to go through Do the math, Rain Man. Tarika Dad's article. And there's David Morales. Okay, pictured at one of the company's offices with a colleague who is faceless. But that's David Morales right there. That's the guy that really rigged all this spying against Assange. Either knowingly he had to know what he was doing by the end of it, but this is the the key thing. Tarika Dad says Spanish police omitted a very relevant volume of material in the judge investigating spying allegations against UC Global owner David Morales, the former Spanish Marine accused of breaching Julian Assange's privacy while the former while the WikiLeaks founder sought political political asylum in Ecuador's London embassy, according to a new report in El País. An investigation into Morales was opened by Spain's Audencia Nacional, a Madrid court with national jurisdiction to investigate major crimes in July 2019. It came after two witnesses from UC Global, the firm contracted to provide security for the Ecuadorian embassy, approached Assange's lawyers, alleging that Morales had used this access to surreptitiously eavesdrop on Assange, his visitors, as well as meetings held with lawyers and medical professionals, and handing over the acquired materials to America's Central Intelligence Agency. Yes, this is what happened. We have to go over this. Once a criminal case was open, the, premise, the premises of Morales' home and businesses were raided by Spanish police on 17 December of that year. In the process, police confiscated over 20,000 pounds, euros in cash. Not That's not pounds, that's euro in cash. Two guns with serial numbers scratched off, one of which was loaded as well as physical files, laptop, laptops, mobile phones, and external storage devices in the form of pen drives and hard drives. Copies of the digital files were subsequently sent to the presiding judge, as well as Assange's Spanish lawyers, who trawled through the evidence to compile a criminal case. And these are the, the guns, and there's the serial number scratched off you can see there in the picture. Mm -hmm. However, in going through the files exceeding a terabyte and a half of data, Assange's lawyers noted that a number of the files were corrupted in the copying process, making them inaccessible. They successfully petitioned the judge right. to have their own IT experts make new digital mirrors of the images of the devices in January of this year. Huh, how about that? How about that? About it. Now, according to their recent interview with El Pais, the lawyers made a shocking discovery once the new data had been accessed. Almost over 250 gigabytes of material originally on the devices was never included in what the judge or lawyers had received. 
It includes a staggering total of 551,616 files and 973 emails previously unseen. Among them is a folder titled Operations and Projects, like projectiles, in which further directories are broken yep. down by region. Going to North America and then to USA, a folder is found within the title CIA, in there with the title CIA, in there are images and video footage from the secret surveillance undertaken in the Ecuadorian embassy. Mm. There are also files labeled Ladies' Toilet, where UC Global plays hidden oh. microphones after learning that that's where Assange took his lawyers in an attempt to evade other forms of surveillance. Also that his lawyers were women, Jen Robinson and... Amal Clooney, or Amal, I don't know what her name was before, and then later on, Stella yeah. Morris. Others were labeled Fidel, as in reference to Fidel Narvaez, the former Ecuadorian consul who attempted to help Assange escape the embassy by means of a diplomatic passport. The finding is hugely significant, although previously received files showed Morales texting his colleagues with multiple references to working with the American client, American intelligence, and the agency of stars and stripes, in addition to bank, phone, and flight records, placing him in various American cities when key decisions were made, there never appeared to be an explicit reference to the CIA. That is now not the case, and it should be instrumental in proving the criminal case against Morales, as well as to the civil suit in the Southern District of New York, filed against the CIA and its former director, Mike Pompeo, on behalf of Margaret Rat ratner Kunstler, Deborah Herbeck, John Getz, and Charles Glass as the plaintiffs. <clears throat> Further still, this now becomes the second instance of Spanish police appearing to obstruct the Assange investigation. Everybody obstructed the Assange investigation under orders from the U.S. and CIA. That's my own... Addition, that's not Tariq's assessment. In a January meeting with Assange's lawyers in Spain, Aitor Martinez told the author of this piece that following a December 2017 break-in at his firm's offices in Madrid, the ILOCAD practice set up by a former judge, Baltasar Garzón, the matter was investigated, but when Martinez followed up, police said there was no file in existence in relation to the break-in. What? Further follow-ups about this fact did not yield any additional information. But here's the cam footage of somebody breaking into these offices. These are screen grabs of CCTV right. footage from the law from nice. the law firm. We remember this. Like we covered this. Yeah. I think we covered this last yeah. year. Maybe. The break-in, which is believed to be carried out by professionals who use gloves and other means to avoid detection, is suspected of being linked to Morales and UC Global due to testimony provided by one of the two witnesses. Because in his statement to, to the Spanish court, which is too anonymized to protect him from potential reprisals from his former boss, said, I recall that at the end of November 2017, David Morales told the company workers that the Americans were very happy with the information that we'd supplied, but that they would need more. To this end, Morales spoke about the possibility of entering the legal offices of ILOCAD, which is the law firm which is headed by Baltasar Garzón in Madrid, given that Mr. Garzón coordinated the legal defense of Julian Assange, 
This would allow us to obtain information concerning Mr. Assange for the Americans. I believe we found that they had placed cameras in his office, too. Two weeks after this conversation, the national media reported that two men in Baklavats had entered his law offices. Remember, we reported on this. I recall that the, new, that the news was shared amongst the employees in the Jerez office. And we speculated whether this could have to do with what our boss, David Morales, had suggested. Morales is currently under house arrest while being investigated for breach of privacy, violation of confidentiality of attorney-client privilege, bribery, and money laundering. Nice guy. Spanish case against him is continuing, and lawyers recently filed a request to extend the investigating period by an additional six months. And as we know, Assange, meanwhile, has now spent over four years in prison in Britain's HMP Belmarsh, Her Majesty's... uh, HM is Her Majesty's Prison. That's what HMP stands for. Belmarsh. Yeah. Um, While U.S. attempts to extradite him to the country continue. He's wanted in connection with obtaining and publishing the infamous collateral murder video, as well as U.S. military logs from the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Defenders argue that the publication of these files is no different from what journalists do every day, and the prosecution is an assault on press freedoms. uh, But the U.S., of course, says it's a violation of the Espionage Act, except that he wasn't bound by the Espionage Act, and that Assange should spend decades, if not the rest of his life, in incarceration. Support Tariq Haddad, TariqHaddad.com. That was a good article. To me, this is the smoking gun. Like, literally, this is the smoking gun. They now have the video footage. We now have the video footage off of this guy's computer in a folder labeled CIA that they never gave. And now we have it. Why isn't he out right now? Why isn't he out right now? And I think Misty would totally agree with me. Yeah. We're fucked. You know what that made you know what that made me think about all this attorney and stuff? Hmm. Uh what, what was that other um attorneys at law we made the other day? Oh uh, Clarenberg, Rubenstein, and Blumenthal, attorneys at law. <laughs> I didn't even add Clarenberg. I just thought it was Blumenthal Blumenthal and Rubenstein. <laughs> Blumenthal and Rubenstein, attorneys at law. Attorneys at law. No. Do you want to sue your government? (laughs) Those guys guys absolutely killed it with NED this week. So shout out to to those guys. Wow. Great. Yeah. That's airing tomorrow, our our coverage of that. Amazing. I do Um, have, by the way, one more story that I do want to get to. Um, We got merch, but this is a common dream. You have three minutes. Yes. Perfect. Well, we're going to need a little bit more than three minutes, but. You're going to like this. You're going to like the way you look. All right. Common dreams. This is this is a story that I literally didn't hear anybody talking about. Apocalyptic scenes. That's not a word that you hear very often. As unprecedented climate-driven wildfires devastate Nova Scotia, Canada? Yeah. Nova Scotia. So our friend Aquatine Marcus, Marxist over on Twitter, he... Uh, he tweeted out a picture this morning about, oh, hazy morning, and I said, thank the wildfires in Canada. And his response was, I didn't even know it was happening until I got on-air quality warnings and Googled it. And that's when I said, I don't often see the word apocalyptic to describe a disaster, and he just said, holy shit. What are we talking about here? Because, again, I know corporate media talked about this. I didn't really hear about independent media talking about it. 
But firefighters in Nova Scotia are battling the largest wildfire in the Atlantic in the Atlantic province's history. Officials say that on the fire, the southern tip of the province has burned about 20,000 hectares, with flames reaching, reaching nearly 100 meters or 328 feet in height. What does a 328-foot flame look like? I don't want to know. Um, yes, Mastermind, they've been on fire for a week. I actually have a friend in Nova Scotia. Yep. He said that they that it started raining yesterday. I've been checking in with him to ask him how things are and how his family is, and they're all just scared shitless. Oh, and we're gonna we're gonna look at some video, and we're gonna talk about from Common Dreams, Julia, Julia. I Julia. built I, I built I built this this wildfire for you, Julia. I built this. I built this show for you, Julia. Right. Um, so. Officials and climate experts in Nova Lots Scotia fans. Oh, in every room pointed to numerous <laughs> climate reference, uh, climate related factors, of course, that have contributed to the wildfires that are raging in the province this week, forcing the evacuation of more than 16,000 people and destroying roughly 200 homes and other structures. The Tantalon fire in the Halifax area and the Barrington Lake fire in the southwestern country of the Shelburne of Shelburne, have burned through a combined 25,000 acres in the Maritime Province, which, as one fire told, firefighter told the Canadian newspaper Saltwire, has historically been far less likely to experience such blazes when landlocked, than landlocked provinces, western provinces. Sure, they're on the water. This is the worst fire I've ever been on, was the volunteer firefighter Jeez. captain. I've been on other large fires in Nova Scotia, Porter's Lake. We lost structures there. But you don't see fires like this in Nova Scotia. You see these in Alberta. Can yeah, fuck, that's fucking Alberta. Well, All right, shout out, shout out to Yeti. Yeti's, Yeti's in Calgary. I know. Alberta, Canada. That's, fucking, that's fucking Alberta. That's, right? That they got the fucking they got Canada, that show yeah. every year. It's because of that. It's Canada, they got the stampede. It's technically newfies. Newfie, newfie accents are way harder. Like and it's described a surreal that's like, scene. Um, ready, ready for this one. Jim Carrey as oh, oh that's uh, Irene. It's it. Uh, it's that that the um. Where he plays no, the it's two... the one he does in um. In he's the series of unfortunate Cop. events. Oh, okay. Living it's all new. It's all newfie stuff. Yeah. Okay, so he, he says does we're that driving like on any. There's another one that has that, but this guy Tetanus. Someone will let me know. Right, the, the captain, he said that we're driving on Hammond's Plain Road with fire on both sides of the road, structures on fire, cars abandoned and burnt in the middle of the road. Other witnesses, including a filmmaker, posted videos on social media of apocalyptic scenes showing fires destroying homes and huge plumes of smoke rendering highways nearly invisible to drivers. We're going to look at a couple of those in a minute. This is from Al Jazeera. Um, I almost died. He says the fire spreading. It's very serious. We couldn't see anything. So, the planet is on fucking fire. As Nikki from Backyard Politics, that used to be her thing. And action. That's a fire. That's a fire! Wait, let me go back. Because the one... I mean... That's out the side of the window of the highway they're driving on. 
Like that's just gonna take and the other Yeah, they're surrounded. Oh yeah. And you see how dry everything is too? Oh my god. Like Alright, so like all that grass is gonna fucking Yep. Yuck. Okay, so that's bad. That's bad. Yep. Uh why is it doing that? Okay, yeah. here we go. <clears throat> so Karen McKendry, who's a wilderness outreach coordinator at the Ecology a Action Center in Nova Scotia's capital, Halifax, told the observer that the province has experienced hotter, drier weather than normal this spring, making it easier for fires to spread naturally. Right? So that's that. Fire, fires in areas where Hurricane Fiona downed trees had the potential to move faster and burn more intensely, making them potentially more difficult, difficult to contain and control. At this time, needles, twigs, leaves, etc. support fire ignition and spread. And with high winds, the spread can be rapid and intense. This would be a great time to end fossil fuel subsidies, invest in a Green New Deal. No, that would have been about 15 years ago, but that's another story for another day. I don't want to talk about the, what they could have done. More than 200 crews have been sent by government agencies from across the province. And Nova Scotia officials said Tuesday that both the Tantalon and Barrington Lake fires were still out of control. That was last week, two days after they began and were rapidly moving. Now, they've gotten them under control, according to what I've recently seen. But that it could flare back up. But they, they're due to have four days of rain, which is going to fix all of this. Um, McKendree pointed out the number of anti-conservation activities that may be linked to increased wildfires, of course. <clears throat> Roads being built deep into our forests have allowed more people opportunities to accidentally set fires while the government has been emptying our urban areas of wetlands, making it, e making it easier for blazes to spread, spread widely. Do not delude yourself into thinking this is a one-off. The world is more flammable than it's ever been. Now, we talked about the, the Al Jazeera one. Here's the Al Jazeera one. Also, cray cray. It's fire. Yep. Oh. Whoa, whoa, I need to go. I need to go. Okay, okay, okay. Can't see anything. Yeah. Whoa. Yep. Haul ass, man. Just haul ass, haul ass. But right. Can't, can't, can't haul ass. I almost died. I almost died. The fire is spreading. It's very serious. I'm not kidding. We couldn't see anything. I was just going to film, and yeah, and he, uh, I'm sorry I did that to, to you, Ali. I took you with me, but guys, like, this is really serious. That's a house. Jesus. That's a pool? That's a pool. That's power lines. Look at that shit. I mean, if that doesn't scream, I'm in danger. Just that sky. Danger, Will you know? Robinson. Danger. Danger. Shout out to the to that reporter from Al Jazeera for the balls to be there. Oh, look. Yep. That's fire. That is crazy. Whoa, 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 I need to go. I need to go. I 
need to go. I need to go. Yeah, you do. I need to go too. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I need to go. Um, yeah. So I did not think that everybody had heard about that. I certainly had not until I heard, till I saw the thing from my friend on Facebook about what was going on up there. And I'm like, how have I not heard anything? Well, that's kind of what I do a show about. So I guess I know what I'm doing this week. And that's how I made it into the show. So that is uh, about all I got for this mm. portion of the show. And that is heartbreaking. Cool. I agree. Thank you for sticking with it. Free Julian Assange. Hi, Kamishwari Kate. Yep. Hi, Bad Cookies. Hi, Gamer. Screw Google. Mastermind. Screw Google. I love your comments. Thank you on, on the videos afterwards and on the clips. Desert Mantis. Hey, how are you? Zombie in the air. Everyone, thank you for being here. Love you all. Appreciate you. Mad Crab. Love you too, man. Um, we got to get that schedule out. We'll work on that. I think that there could be a better... We could, we could do a better template than that. I'm not crazy about the way that one looked. But anyway, that's inside baseball stuff. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, it's It's... Yeah, already it's been an hour forty-five. Yeah, I would say it's time for for um for boats, kind of. But I want to put up a couple of chats here from from uh here's the INN News episode where he purged the Assange files with special guest Misty Winston. Go check that out for sure. Okay, yep. um, I saw a question by Crab. Uh, where was it? Something, something. I. Now I can't find... Oh, here it is. Did you end up putting my thumbs in the slide? No, I did not get your thumbs in the slide. Sorry. As you noticed. Yeah. Um, They're going to be clip thumbnails, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll use them for the clips. I, he says, do you guys even think that if Assange gets out now, he'll be able to live the rest of his life at ease or in his mental case gone for good? I would... No. He's already mentally broken. I would say that he's He just had, just had a gone, stroke. He needs, he, needs to, he needs to get out. Just for his physical safety, yes. it makes me sad too. Um, they've they've already kind of um, gotten what their mastermind hour. Hey, now Margot Robbie. Okay, sure. Uh, Sebastiano, we got volcano. Is that is is that another? Do I smell bacon in the house too? Good, good, good gracious. Okay. Uh, let's get to some boats. Okay, hold on. Let's see. Pacheco. Those folks are lucky that they weren't roasted alive in their car. That crap can't, that crap can't happen. A hundred percent, man. Like that is scary. Yep. Um, Google yep. says if I had 500 acres burn around my house last uh, few years back, we were lucky, but we were also proactive in fighting the fires with the fire peeps. Yeah. Um, mouse SF think of how much we lost with Julian out of commission. It is awful. And, Maybe one day, but even with him out, I don't think that we would get that Julian Assange. I don't think he would go back to doing WikiLeaks, and I would totally not fault him, blame him one bit for not doing that. Um, he's done more than enough, and he deserves to live his life in peace at this point and be out and free. I think I liked it better being blind. When I couldn't read between the lines And when I couldn't see the cracks in the structure That lay bare before me the whole time 
I think I liked it better back when I Suspended disbelief and swallowing pride I thought I knew the difference in the red from the blue But they both bleed us so dry They both bleed us so dry My favorite songs don't hit the same way I get to the end of a four minute track And I'm only looking back thinking What did they actually say? So I try to